Let's pray together. Father God, we do thank you for your word to us. And uh, Lord, we ask today that you would uh, speak to us and that you might be showing us more of your son today, the Lord Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, as we know, today is Thanksgiving Sunday. Um, but of course, it is a bit different, isn't it? Uh, never before have we had so many sound and technical difficulties. Uh, normally, we'd be gathering together, wouldn't we, in a, uh, a whole church service um, as one big family uh, to catch up with one another. Uh, we'd share lunch afterwards. Uh, we'd celebrate the goodness of God toward us. And uh, it is great to have a few of us back in the building today. Um, but, of course, we're really feeling the, uh, the pain of not being able to be together and to not do things the way that uh, we so often, I think, just took for granted. Uh, and it might be today that you're thinking, well, is, is it a little bit odd to have Thanksgiving Sunday in the middle of a worldwide pandemic uh, in a time when, you know, we have to kind of work out how to meet digitally rather than face-to-face? And, and in a time when we know that lots of people really are doing it tough, um, how can we celebrate and have, have joy in a time like this? Well, if that thought has crossed your mind, then I'm glad you are listening today because uh, it may very well be true that circumstances around us can be like a raging sea. And um, life can seem fearful and out of control. Uh, but the wonderful news that I think we've been seeing through the book of Hebrews and really the wonderful image that we saw last week is that when we come to Jesus, well, then we have reason for hope and joy and thanksgiving no matter what the circumstances. Because through faith in Jesus, we now have an anchor for our soul, an anchor that is firm and secure and that will hold us no matter what storms may come. So the great uh, blessing that we have through Jesus is that we have been brought back into a personal relationship with God. Uh, we know the God of the universe who, who loves us, who cares for us, who watches over us, who, who knows us as his children. And, and it's for this reason that Jesus says that we can be content in this life and that we don't need to worry or be anxious because we are those who know the love of our God and the care of our great Father. And friends, the reason why we can know that that is certain and true is because of what we're going to see today in our passage in Hebrews chapter 7. Uh, it's because Jesus has become a great high priest for us in the order of Melchizedek. So it's because Jesus is this kind of priest uh, that we'll see here today. This is why we can have such great hope and certainty for the future. This is why we can have joy and contentment in the present, because what we have through Jesus is a real relationship with the living God. So today this is what we're going to be thinking about, how Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And we'll think about how what that means for us is that we can draw near to God, our Heavenly Father. Now, as we come to this passage, and maybe as it was read just a moment ago, uh, maybe you're thinking, well, it's a little bit obscure, isn't it? And uh, it may be thinking, well, do I really need to know this stuff about Melchizedek? 
I mean, he's only mentioned a couple of times in the Bible. Uh, seems like a bit of a strange figure. Uh, it's probably not immediately obvious how knowing about Melchizedek is going to help me get through the day. But I think this is a, a good test for us, actually, about, well, what are we wanting when we come to read the Bible? See, so is that what we're after? You know, just a few tips or comforting words to help us get through the day. Or, or do we come to the Bible because we want to know God better? Because we want to grow in our knowledge of him? Because we love him? See, I think if we come to the Bible like that, well, well I think that we'll actually find this to be a very exciting passage. Because here is actually an opportunity for us to learn more about Jesus and to learn more about how he gives us access to our Father as he has become a high priest for us. Well, I, I hope it might be with that kind of attitude that we do come to the Bible. Now, um, if you've been with us through Hebrews uh, recently, um, we have seen in our series that Melchizedek's been mentioned a couple of times, uh, most recently just there in 6 verse 20, the verse before our passage today, with the statement that Jesus has become a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And so here at the start of chapter 7, well, our, our writer refers us back to the story of Melchizedek in Genesis 14. Uh, and this all highlights really the significance of who he is. And so if you see there in verse 1, we're told that he is both king of Salem, uh, which later will become Jerusalem, and he is also priest of God Most High. Uh, in verse 2, we're told there what his name means. It means king of righteousness. And being, of course, the king of Salem, that's the Hebrew word for peace, he's also the king of peace. Uh, then verse 3 relates another feature, that he is without beginning of days or end of life. Uh, the way that we're introduced to him in Genesis is that he just kind of appears in the story. Uh, we're not told about who his mother or father are. Uh, we're also not told about his death. Uh, and so kind of within the book of Genesis, he's a priest of God who is also a king. There's no beginning or end to his life. And being the king of righteousness and peace, well, you see all of these many ways that he resembles, as it says there at the end of verse 3, he resembles the Son of God. So here is one who foreshadows the ultimate priest and king who is to come. So that's the introduction to Melchizedek there in verses 1 to 3, but then as we continue from verse 4, um, we're told then about the time, well, his meeting with Abraham. And the big thing to see here is that, well, as we know, Abraham is the great father of the nation of Israel. Um, but here we're told that Melchizedek is greater than him. That's what it says there in verse 4. It says, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now we need to know a little bit about Old Testament history uh, here to understand the argument. But, but um, you know, basically Abraham is the great father of the nation. Uh, Abraham has Isaac. Uh, Isaac has Jacob, who becomes Israel, uh, and he has 12 sons. They become the 12 tribes of Israel. And two of those, well, one of them is uh, Levi, and his descendants become the priests in Israel. And another is Judah, and it's from his tribe that we see the kings in Israel. Now, how does that help with our passage? Well, let me read 
couple of verses there from verse 5. It says, Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they also are descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. So what's being said here is that later on when the Levites become priests and work in the temple, uh, well, the law said that the people were to give it a tithe to support their work. But Melchizedek is different to those kind of priests uh, because he's not of the tribe of Levi. Uh, he's actually hundreds of years before them, isn't he? Uh, and that'll be important because neither is Jesus of the tribe of Levi. And so here's a different uh, kind of priesthood, uh, one in the order of Melchizedek, and it is this kind of priesthood that Jesus belongs to. And we see that what well, it's different, but also the Melchizedek type of priesthood is also superior. Uh, we've shown that in a couple of ways. First, because of how Abraham is the one blessed by Melchizedek. But then second, and uh, our writer makes a, a lot of this, because the, of the duration or the length of their ministries. So that's the comparison there in verse 8. Uh, in the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, it's the Levitical priest, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Now we heard in verse 3 that Melchizedek is without end of life, and so in a literary sense, he is declared to be living. Uh, you might think that sounds kind of like an odd argument, but uh, the point our author is ultimately leading us to is to say that well, what is true for Melchizedek in a, in a literary sense? Well, that is true in an absolute sense and without qualification for Jesus, who is the great priest and who, having been raised to life, he now lives forever. And this is the reason why we're told about Melchizedek, uh, to show us that before the law was given, and before the Levitical priesthood was established, and before even Abraham was around, well, there was a type of priest, a priest of God, and his priesthood was better than what followed. It was superior. And so if our first point today is simply to say that Melchizedek was better, well, the second and the main thing to learn from this passage is that Jesus is better still. So Melchizedek's kind of like an early model. But Jesus is the reality. It's kind of like, uh, you know, when new buildings are being designed and you might have seen the engineers, you know, make those little scale models that you put in the, the front of the building so you get an idea of what it's, it's going to become like. Remember when I was studying at Christ College, they were uh, planning on a new, um, well, a whole new development and that's come about now. But when I was studying, it was still in the old building, uh, but there were plans underway for something new to come something that would be better. And so they had sitting in the foyer of the old college this little scale model, the different rooms, different levels, uh, little people, you know, uh, not walking around, but the little people were there. So you could all get a sense of what it's going to be like when the reality arrives. And that's what we're being told here. Melchizedek is kind of the model, but now we start to be told about the reality in the Lord Jesus. 
But I think it's worth asking, um, I mean, well, why was a change in priesthood needed? So what was wrong with the old one uh, that meant that it needed replacing? Well, that's the question that our writer goes to next in verse 11. So let me read from there. It says, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? So why was a new kind of priesthood needed? Well, it's because of the imperfection of the Levitical priesthood. And if you look down in verse 18, it says that that, that system was weak and useless because the law could make nothing perfect. So this is the reason why there was a need for a change because what was going on at the temple with all of the sacrifices, well, that could not make people perfect before God. Now, that was the job of the priests, uh, to represent the people before God, to deal with their sin, to enable God's people to have a restored relationship with him. And see, what was needed was a relationship with God that would last, a relationship with God that was not dependent upon our performance or having made all of the right sacrifices or having brought him a, an adequate tithe, but rather a priest who would wash us clean of our sin and our guilt and present us righteous before the Father. And the old system could not do that. A change was needed. And what was needed was a better priest, one in the order of Melchizedek. And this is the kind of priest that Jesus is. So as it goes on to say there in verse 13, it says that Jesus wasn't born into the priestly tribe of Levi. No, he was born into the tribe of Judah. So by virtue of his genealogy, he could rightly be a king, according to the law, but not a priest. Well, unless he is a priest of a different order which is the point that's being made, that he doesn't belong to the Levitical priests, that which was inferior, but he belongs to the Melchizedek order of priests, the one that was superior. His qualification as a priest is not according to the law of ancestry, but rather, as verse 16 tells us, it's on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. See, what sets Jesus' priesthood apart as vastly superior is that it lasts forever. And just like he is the promised king who will reign forever, well, he is the promised priest who now lives forever to intercede for us. Now, if we're asking where did God make a promise about a priest like this who would reign forever, well, the second time that Melchizedek is mentioned in the Old Testament is in Psalm 110, uh, which you see here is quoted twice in our chapter, in verse 17 and verse, uh, verse 21. And the emphasis is on the promise of a priest who will live forever. Now, Psalm 110 is a psalm by David, uh, David who is the great king. You remember David whose heart was to build the temple uh, but evidently David knew that a greater priest than those who served at the temple was needed. And the Lord uh, made an oath. Now, we heard last week as Ryan opened up the passage before us about uh, how God cannot lie. 
and how if God swears an oath that it will certainly be fulfilled? Well, in Psalm 110, and you can read it there in verse 21, it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. So, friends, what does this all mean for us? That Jesus is a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Let me read the conclusion, really, from verse 25. Uh, one of the commentaries calls this the concluding rhapsody to the great high priest. Let me read a few verses there. Uh, verse 25, this is what it means. He says, Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. So what's the point of all of this? Well, the point is that Jesus perfectly meets our need. The point is in verse 19 that a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Because verse 26, he truly meets our need. And what is our great need? Well, our great need is to be brought back to God. And Jesus does that by sacrificing himself. And his self-offering was made once for all and was effective for all. So the, Le the Levitical priest, well, he sinned and he died. But Jesus was without sin and he did die, but he is now raised and he now will never die. He lives forever. He lives forever to bless and protect those who have committed themselves to him. And so he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. He enables us to draw near to the God of all of the earth and be welcomed into his family. We are present with him now by faith and one day we will be with him forever. And so on this Thanksgiving Sunday, well, I hope that you are filled with gratitude today. That we have Jesus, our great high priest, the priest who has perfectly met our need. Because in him, our deepest need and our deepest desires have been met. You have an anchor for your soul that will hold fast through the storms of life. More importantly, it will hold fast in the storm of God's judgment because our perfect priest made the perfect sacrifice when he offered himself as a sacrifice for sin once for all so that we could have a better hope, so that we with confidence could draw near to God. Let me pray, let me give thanks and uh, let's draw near to God now in prayer. Our Father God, we do have so much to thank you for.
Lord, we thank you today for what we are told in your word of the real and the lasting and the certain hope that we have in our Saviour, Jesus. We thank you that we can know you, that we can draw near to you, that we can live our lives knowing your grace and your goodness toward us. We give you thanks for these things today in Jesus' name. Amen.